we're going to talk about the one verse that he pointed out, kind of that had kind of spoken to his heart. And I want to kind of break the whole psalm apart and see how God is moving. So Psalm chapter 3, and we're going to read uh, the whole psalm and then kind of go back and, and break it down. So Psalm chapter 3. And uh, do I have a volunteer to read? I guess I'll do that. We haven't done that in a while. Okay, awesome. So just all eight verses, brother. All right. Amen. And so I want to look at this psalm tonight. I want to give you a little background here. Um, uh, David is actually fleeing in this psalm from his son, Absalom. And this, his son, Absalom, is actually gaining great influence and support from the people. So David's own son is rising up against him, and he's beginning to get a lot of influence from people in the nation. Uh, Absalom desires to take the throne from his father. And I want you to note here how David opens the psalm. What's the first word that David says? So Psalm 3, verse 1, what is the first thing David says? Lord. Lord. And I love that because David doesn't spend any time getting into the psalm. He doesn't spend any time working up to what he's going to ask. Sometimes you'll read a psalm and there's an explanation or a little bit of a, a setting up of the scene or the setting. David doesn't do any of that. He just opens his mouth and says, Lord. And I love this because it shows that David didn't want to take time for some formal, long, drawn out type prayer. He just jumped right into the need. It's like he's saying, Lord, I need you now. Like, I don't have time to get to, to kind of mess around or beat around the bush. I need you now. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about this when David opens up the psalm this way. Wiersbe says this. It is like Peter in Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, calling out to the Lord when he began to sink. And the Lord was right there to rescue him. You guys remember that story, right? Peter's out in the water. He's walking. He begins to sink. He calls out. The Bible's amazing. Was Jesus standing right next to Peter when he started to sink? No, he was obviously not right next to him because Peter was walking to him. But instantly, Jesus is there, grabs him by the hand and pulls him up. That type of urgent calling out, that urgent cry that we see here in David's prayer in Psalm 3. It's just a call out, Lord. So I want to take a minute and just think about this. How many times have we had a prayer like that? Right? How many times have we had a prayer where we just said, literally, I don't know what else to say other than just, Lord, I need you. Lord, where are you? Uh, Lord, have you forgotten me? Lord, what are you doing in this? And this is kind of the issue that David is facing. He's literally complaining and crying out to the Lord. So this is David's prayer. But we're going to see it's, it's a prayer that becomes a praise. Right? It, it starts off as this urgent prayer, but it actually turns into a time of praise. And so David's prayer, let's break this down as we look through this psalm. 
In verses 1 through 2, we see that he complains about the situation. He complains about the situation. What's the complaint that we see David crying out about? What's David, what's his issue? What is he crying out to Lord of the Lord because of what? What's going on? Okay, he's got too many enemies, right? What else do we see there? They're not just, they're not just too many right now, but they are actually increasing, right? They're increasing, okay? What else does he complain about to, to God in this prayer to the Lord? My enemies are great. They're increasing. I've got so many enemies surrounding me. What else does he say? He actually kind of quotes one of the enemies or some of the enemies. Yeah. What are they saying about David? Yeah. God's left you. This is like, you're going through it. You're going through this massive trial. You're calling out to the Lord and all you've heard from your enemies are even God can't help you. Even God has forgotten about you. This is a powerful moment for David's life because David is a man that is calling out to God because he's going maybe in the back of his mind, God, have you really forgotten about me? God, is it true what they're saying that I can't be rescued, that my soul is beyond saving? Now you might say, come on, David's not really thinking that. Listen, if you've ever been in a situation where every voice you heard around you was speaking those kind of things into your life, sooner or later, even though you know the truth, you're going to start to listen and go, but maybe. I can just tell you from personal experience, there was times in our church past, thank God it's the past, right? We better learn from it, but it's the past. Where I remember going home, and Sandra can attest to this, and I'd be like, look, I know the truth on this, but let me just run this by you. Do you see it like this? Is this really what's going on here? And I'll pull out a letter or an article that I got in the mail that week that had some things highlighted. And I'll go, do you see this in my life? Am I really doing this and this and this? And that was only, here's the thing too. It wasn't this large thousands of people. It was like two or three people. Isn't that how it is too in our lives sometimes? You could have 10 people tell you, man, God is doing this and you're doing what God wants you to do. And you get those couple of people that want to kind of, I call it biting at your heels. Right? Think about like a dog when you come into a house and it's biting at your heels. That's kind of what they're doing. And you know the truth and you know God's word, but you go, but maybe there's something to this. Maybe they're right. And that's kind of what David is calling out here. He's saying, man, they're increasing. So think about it that way. He thinks he's doing the right thing, but all the enemies are growing in number. So maybe I'm not doing the right thing. And they're actually accusing and saying that even God can't save you. The reality is these are not some foreign enemy. This is not a foreign nation that's warring against David. These are his own people. These are his own people. We must note, however, that David is in this situation to some degree because of his own sin choice, right? Why is Absalom rising up against David as a result of what? Like, what did David do that is leading to this consequence? Okay, he had the affair with Bathsheba. Then what did he do? He didn't just have the affair. He tried to do something to cover it up. Yeah, he brought Uriah home. Does Uriah go home and spend a couple nights with his wife? Right, so because Uriah doesn't go home, by the way, because Uriah is too loyal to David, isn't that a kicker? 
Uriah won't even leave. I'd rather sleep in your doorway, David, because I love you so much, David, who did this thing to me that I don't even know about. But I, I'm going to honor you, David. And David's result is, well, I guess I got no other option. Send him to the front of the line and pull everyone back. And as a result of that choice, here's the reality. Did God forgive David for his sin? It's amazing. Look at, study it out, okay? Study out how, and we talked about this maybe a little bit in the men's Bible study, how Saul responded when the prophet approached Saul and accused him of, hey, you didn't do the right thing. God said, destroy everything. Did you do that, Saul? Saul goes, oh yeah, sure. And then in the background, bah, bah. And the prophet goes, well, then why do I hear the buying of sheep in my ear? Oh, well, some of the people, you know, the people didn't do what you really wanted. They kept some of it to sacrifice. See, Saul, when he was confronted, lied. Still tried to skirt the issue. It took a couple times before he finally went, okay, yeah, you got me. Notice how David, when Nathaniel came in, David said, you're right. I, I did this thing. And he owned it. And he confessed and he repented. And you see true repentance because, man, there was weeping. Not that it doesn't have to be tears physically, but it broke him is what I'm getting at. So God forgives him and, and receive, restores him. But you know what's true is that sin had a consequence. And here's the thing. God will forgive you for your sin. But some sin choices, this side of heaven, will carry various degrees of consequence. Sometimes it's seen immediately. Sometimes it's seen years later. We don't know. But this is a result of David's own sin choice. David made a decision, and now as a result, Absalom is rising up against him. We experience the same things today. We make a choice we shouldn't. And then when consequences come, we cry out to the Lord. However, isn't it amazing that he is always there for us when we cry out to him? Now, I said this before. David is doing the right things. Absalom is rising up against him. He's starting to doubt and question but isn't it amazing, even though this is a consequence of David's own sin choice, he still cries out to God and says, God, would you help me? We do the same thing. But the amazing beauty is this: in this is that God hears David. God hears him. Then in verse 3, everything changes for David. Verse 3 is what I call a hinge verse. The entire psalm hinges on this verse. David's in this one position in verses 1 and 2. Then verse 3 comes along, 3 to 8 or 4 to 8, whole different view, whole different perspective. So let's look at verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. He reminds himself of the truth. See, in all these voices, right? God can't even save you, David. No, we're all against you, David. His own people against him. But then, as happens so many times in the book of Psalms, which is an amazing reason to read the book, because it, it's beautiful to see how God's people start to kind of, it clicks and they just start to realize truth. David reminds himself of what he already knows. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Like we're all, I look around, we're all churched people, right? We've all been in church a long time, right? How many of you guys like literally grew up in church? For the most part, maybe teenage, teenage years and on, or even young. Okay. Have you ever been in a situation where you're going through something and you're thinking a certain way about that something, and then you stop and go, I know this isn't the way I should be doing this. You ever have this happen? Or I'm feeling down, I'm feeling discouraged, and I go, 
but wait, I know God is with me. I know God's got this. And it, you almost kind of like want to kick yourself a little bit. Like, why was I wasting so much time? And then we think this, I know the truth. I, I know it. But what is that saying, right? There's a big difference between knowing and applying. You can know what you're supposed to do, but applying it can be a lot more difficult. David reminds himself of what's always been true. He says here, uh, but, oh, Lord, I love that. But, oh, Lord, the people are saying this, but, oh, Lord, I know what you're saying. I know who you are. It's like he realizes, regardless of what they say, you are with me, Lord. So I want to break this verse down and see uh, how he sees God in this verse. How does David see God in this verse? What are the three things that he says God is for him? Give me the first one. What's he say? You are my shield. Okay. What do you think of when you think of shield? Don't read your study notes. Don't look ahead. Just you tell me. What is a shield? What do you think of when you think shield? Defense. Absolutely. Okay. Protection. Star Trek. Okay. Okay. Shields up. There you go. I like that. That's probably a good idea for, for some of us who walk into situations. Shields up. Okay. Guard up. What else do we think of a shield? Defense, protector, right? Okay. When they make the wall of shields, basically, and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That idea of just uh, something you can't get through, right? It's just this, this defense. Uh, the word itself actually relates to or means defense, covering, or surround. Defense, covering, surround. Now, I, we can look at any one of those three kind of definitions of that idea, that word. But I want to look at the word surround. When we're in the midst of it in this world, sometimes we feel like our enemies are surrounding us. Like the world is surrounding us. That negative idea, the, the world's way of thinking about things, right? And we feel like we're surrounded on all sides. But we got to remember, David is not saying, God, you're like a shield that protects my front. God, you're like a shield that protects my back. He's saying, God, you're like a shield that's 360. Like when God is our shield, nothing gets by him. Which if you think about a human shield, we think of a singular shield we hold out in front of us or to defend. This is God saying, no, I'm surrounding you. Nothing is getting through because he is my shield. What's the next thing he says God is for him? Okay, it says my glory, right? My glory. So what do we think of there? My glory. What comes to your mind? This one's a little tougher than shield. Okay, the Shekinah glory, meaning like God's glory, right? The glory of God, okay? What do we think of? We think of God's glory. We think like a light, right? Like bright, just like overwhelming, okay? And David says, God, you're my glory, so obviously we could say, well, God's, or David's not saying he has the Shekinah of God. He's not in that regard. But is there a similarity here? So what else comes to mind? The glory. You are my glory. I'm not sure I can explain it well, but it's like it's, it's his focus. It's like okay. you're my everything. Okay. Like, he went into battle and he's defeating all his enemies. 
Okay. Gotcha. So it's not a prideful thing. It's not a look at me and what I've done. It's, yeah, I'm directing everything to you so that you are glorified, not me. I see that. Okay. Any other thoughts on that? How maybe David is trying to use that here? So the word glory in this idea, if you look it up, it actually relates to the idea of honor, reputation, dignity. And when I looked that up, I thought, how cool is that? Because what, what comes to my mind, and again, I'm not saying this is the definitive answer, right? Okay, there could be different takes on this, I'm sure. But you're king of Israel. Your son is trying to overtake you. Your own people are rising up against you. They're insulting you at a spiritual level, right? You may not feel like you have a whole lot of dignity left. Where's your reputation? That's gone. So what do we do as human beings, especially maybe the men more than women, but what do we do as human beings when we feel like something is robbing us of our reputation and our dignity? We fight to get it back. You know what David's saying? I don't care what they think. You know, you're my dignity. You're my honor. You're my reputation. Like, I don't need to defend myself to them. You know, and you're all those things for me. I think it was, maybe it was Rick years ago. I think it was Rick that said to, to me one time, just in passing, he said something along the lines of, if people really knew me like Jesus knew me, they wouldn't want to know me. They wouldn't like me very much. Sometimes I think that's how we can feel. If we're not careful, we think that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. Cause man, we want him to be our honor and our dignity and our reputation. Let him fight those battles for you. Man, so many people nowadays, we want to fight to be respected. You will respect me. Man, you know what? If people choose to respect you, that's great. And if they don't, that's fine. Because God is the one that you need to really be pleasing and honoring and going to and saying, God, am I, am I honoring you with what I'm doing? Forget what the crowds say. Now, I'm not saying we ignore our testimony. What I'm saying is if our focus is on him and we realize that he is defending our dignity and our reputation, he's going to take care of it. And we don't need to worry about it. What's the last thing that David says God is for him? Okay, the lifter of my head. So, what comes to your mind? Okay, chin up. I like that, okay. Okay, edify, build up, right? Support, confidence. Did anyone actually picture someone like face down and God actually picks? Is that what you, I always picture that. Like, maybe it's a stretch, I don't know. I, I see the same word picture here, but I understand the definition might be a little different. What is, I think about this when, when Jesus is confronted with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Is that John 8, I believe? John 8, right? They bring her out, lay her before him. Hey, we caught her in the act of adultery. Where's the dude, right? Like, we don't, he got away somehow, but you caught her. Okay, that makes sense. Maybe that was a little setup. I don't know. Well, what do you want to do? Jesus lost as we should kill her. They start picking up the stones, right? You guys know the story. Jesus says, that's fine. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. By the way, if you're sinless, go ahead and throw the stone. What do they do? Put the stones down and walk away. <laughs> Embarrassed. Maybe a little shamed. Maybe a little reminder that, oh, wait, God showed me grace. Maybe I should show others grace. And then the only one sinless, by the way, the only one that could have killed her and done it justly, right? Jesus 
comes over and asks her, where are your accusers? And I don't know that the text, the text doesn't tell us, but I tend to picture she's on her face, man. She's embarrassed and shamed and broken. There's other things I can't get into that maybe are going on in the setting because of little ears. Okay. The condition she may be in when they bring her to her, to him. I imagine Jesus picking up her head, like lifting her head and getting that eye contact. I think this is how Jesus would handle it. So I picture that when I read about this lifter of my head. Any other thoughts on that phrase, lifter of my head? I'll give you the, the idea of the definition in a minute. But what else comes to your mind? Yes, that's great. It's not, I'm lifting your head to see your circumstances. <laughs> the increased number of enemies, by the way, I'm lifting your head heavenward so you can see me, right? So your focus is on me. The idea here, and I'm going to give you two references that we can turn to in just a minute so we can get some more reading. The idea here is the idea of giving him the victory, to give him the victory. That's the phrasing here. What that word lifter of my head is the idea of saying, God has given David the victory, that's what we're talking about here. So two references. I'm going to need two readers. Um, Psalm 27, verse 6. So I need somebody to take that one. Who's got Psalm 27, 6? Volunteer. Going once. Greg, thanks. He's always so quick to raise his hand. It's amazing. And then Psalm uh, 110, verse 7. Lance, awesome. So hopefully I wrote these down right. I'll find out once Greg starts reading. So, Greg, go ahead. Psalm uh, 27, 6. Okay. Uh, Lance, Psalm 110, verse 7. Okay. This is where we get the idea... It's not God has given him the victory literally. By the way, the enemies are still surrounding him. They're still talking stuff. We know God will give him the literal physical victory, right? But for David, because he lifts his head in this moment, David doesn't need the circumstances to change. I love Psalm 27, 6. And that's kind of what Renee just basically said, right? He lifts my head above my enemies, he lifts my head above my enemies. And so because I lift my head above my enemies, I'm not looking at this. I'm seeing him in his glory and his wonder and his splendor and his holiness. Right? By the way, his power. Do you know why David was confident in his God? Because he saw his God be powerful time and time and time again. So these enemies, they're not really that powerful compared to my God. And so what did the passage that Greg read, Pastor Greg read, what does the, the psalmist do as a response of God lifting his head? Psalm 27, 6. What did the psalmist do as a result of God lifting his head? You guys, if you want to go ahead and read it, you can read it for yourself. Yeah, he went to the tabernacle, offered sacrifices. What else did he do? He sang praises. By the way, guys. The enemies are still there, right? That's the point. I don't care what my circumstances are. I'm going to look to the heavens. I'm going to see God 
from where my help comes from, right? And as a result, I'm going to sacrifice to him because he is my victory. He's given me the victory. And I'm going to sing praises to him even though nothing may change. Another passage I think of is Acts. Is it Acts 16 where Paul is in prison, right? And at midnight they sing praises to God after just being beaten and thrust into the inner lowest, dirtiest, nastiest part of the prison. Open sores on their back. Blood most likely running down their back from being beaten and just whipped. And at midnight, sitting in a prison, sing praises to God. Why? Because the Spirit of God, I believe, lifted their heads and they looked to the heavens. And they saw that God was glorified in all of this. Everything that David's enemies tried to take from him, he knew God was all he needed. Do you see this? Everything the enemies tried to take from David, he realized the truth that God has all that I ever needed. You can take my dignity. That's fine. I have God. You can make me think I'm losing, but that's okay. I have God. I know I've already gotten the victory. See, you can act like you're overtaking me, but I know God is my shield and I'm not worried about it. So really, honestly, let's look at the last four verses here of the Psalm and see how it changed everything. Remember, Not that his circumstances necessarily changed, but the tone of the psalm completely changes. So verses 4 through 8. Can I get one more volunteer to read? Renee, awesome. 4 through 8, yep, yep. I love when you read one and two and then you read four through eight and you go, what changed? Like it almost doesn't seem like it's the same person, right? The guy in one through two, man, this is a horrible place to be in four through eight. There's a whole different perspective. And all that changes is verse three. He reminded himself of truth and who God really is instead of complaining and focusing on the circumstances, David praises the Lord. David already knew the truth of God's character and call in his life, but just needed to remind himself. David praises because of three things. I find this amazing when you see kind of parallels like this in a psalm. David praises because of three things. The Lord heard my cries. Isn't that what David says? I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. Man, what a praise that is to just acknowledge the fact that God hears our prayers. So God is praised because he heard my cries. Then he says, the Lord sustained him. So he slept in peace. Right? He says, I laid down and I got up again. One commentary I was reading says that, that in this person's, this commentator's take on the Psalm, he took it as like this, like David went through one day, right? Complaining, lamenting, goes to bed gets up the next morning and has a whole different perspective on the situation. And it was in that moment he realized, God, you've sustained me. Either way, whether it started or whether it was him saying, God, you, I know I can sleep in peace because I'll awake either in your presence, but I'll be in your peace. So the Lord heard my cries. He praises him for that. The Lord sustained him. So he slept in peace 
And then lastly, the Lord delivered him from his enemies. So he was not afraid. No matter how many thousands were surrounding him. And why is it that he wasn't afraid of the thousands that surrounded him? Because there was something else surrounding him. And what was that? The shield of God was surrounding him. So you know what? It could be tens upon tens of thousands. It doesn't matter. I know God is with me. David knew that his salvation was from the Lord. The word for save and salvation in this passage is the word yasha and means deliverer and savior. It is where we get the word Yeshua for Jesus. And let that sink in for a moment. David says, arise, O Lord, save me. Then later on in verse 8, he says, salvation belongs unto the Lord. That same word for that David was crying out in the literal sense, God, save me from my enemies. It's the exact same word we use where we get the name for Jesus, the Savior. We may feel surrounded by the enemies around us in this world. And it may not be the physical person. By the way, it's not the physical person, right? We don't fight against flesh and blood, right? But it's our enemy, Satan, that's trying to confuse us discourage us, but no matter how much we feel surrounded, God is with us because we have his savior, his son over us. So let me ask you a question tonight, kind of in closing. Do you need to remind yourself that God is with you? When I was reading this this week, guys, I I texted my buddy and I said, man, thank you so much for sharing that one little verse with me. And literally the text just said, man, I was reading Psalm three and it's been on my heart all week. Psalm 3, 3. And I was like, hmm. And I texted him right back. I I real quick wrote out some notes on just some half sheets of paper. And I I sent it to him and I said, dude, thank you, man. That was such an encouragement to me. And he was like, uh, I'll be reading your notes later today because where did that come from? But it's amazing how just one little reference to one little verse can just spark a reminder to myself that God is always around me, that God is my shield. That God is my glory. I don't need to fight for my own glory. God is my glory. And not that I am praised, but that God is praised. So do we need to remind ourselves this this truth tonight? Do we feel overwhelmed by our situation or surroundings? Know that God is surrounding you. That nothing can overtake you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, in context, that's speaking more in regards to the idea of the Antichrist. But I believe in principle, we could say, man, that truth applies to a lot of situations we find ourselves in. When the enemy wants to speak and the world wants to say another and the culture saying another. Guys, listen, the reality is it's getting, for us in this nation, it is getting more difficult to stand for the things of Christ. I say that almost with a hesitation because I know our brothers and sisters all over the world have dealt with it for thousands of years. So I almost kind of like, I don't want to go there because I feel like it's not doing them a service when I say it's harder for us because we might get a small amount of persecution when they're dying for their faith over there in different countries, different parts of the world. But it is in our cultural understanding, right? Like at one time in our country, it was, it was kind of popular to be a Christian, right? It was okay. I mean, maybe it wasn't like super encouraged in some settings, but it was okay. I mean, people kind of tolerated it. Right. It was kind of the cultural norm to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. And, you know, nobody really made a big deal about it. Now, I would argue with you that that there were just as many unsaved people going to church then as there are now. I don't think that meant there were more and more Christians back then. 
right? There could have been in some degrees, but I think a lot of them were still just churchgoers just like they are now. But nowadays, it's like to stand for the things of Christ instantly sets you at opposition to somebody that maybe you work with, maybe a family member. Because you know what? Some of the things in this book don't sound very popular, right? To stand on truth is not always popular. And so we might feel surrounded by the enemy and, and even feeling like, man, is this really truth? Should, should I maybe listen to some of those voices? Because, man, they're growing. There's a lot of enemies out there. I would encourage you to do what David did. Just stop, be quiet, connect with God, get in his word. God, show me truth. God, remind me. And then here's the thing, too. One more thing I want to point out before we close in prayer. It says here in verse 8, Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing, uh, th- thy blessing is upon thy people. What people? Yeah, did you guys catch that? Who are God's people? The nation of Israel, right? In this understanding, this context. Who are also rising up against David? The nation of Israel in some degrees. Now, not everyone, but there are a lot of people that are rising up against him. Do you see that he's saying, God, you're, I know my salvation, my deliverance is with you, and you're blessing your people? Now, maybe it's just the way I'm taking this, but I see that as kind of difficult to say, God, basically, I see you blessing your people, the same people that are rising up against me. But man, when we realize that he has given us the victory, we can say, God, would you just bless? Because they're not really my enemy. The the nation of Israel wasn't really David's enemy. Absalom wasn't really David's enemy, right? We see that today. It's not necessarily the person. It's, it's It's the enemy working, right? To deceive It's sin that's confusing. And so we don't get angry at those that stand against us in the things of Christ. We have compassion on them. We pray for them. We we offer the gospel to them. We can disagree with them. We can stand against the lies, right? We can stand for truth. But man, we got to be really careful that we don't get mad at sinners for just being sinners. And I love that David's perspective changes completely. You know what? I don't care how many thousands there are. I'm I'm good because I've got. I've got God on my side. And so I wanted to really just spend some time tonight going through this psalm, just kind of walking it out and then hopefully encouraging you uh, to look at these truths and to remind ourselves of these truths so that we could praise God together. And so um, I do want to open up just for a minute. If anyone has any other thoughts or anything else in the psalm that maybe I didn't touch on that jumped out to you, uh, that encourages you or speaks to you in some way that God maybe is encouraging you with. All right. Oh, go ahead, brother. Amen. Amen. Praise God. That's so amazing. And it's amazing how God works, isn't it? Like, like from what Bill just said, if my buddy wouldn't have texted me, I was really, and I was seriously sitting at my desk praying about, okay, God, what, where would you want me to go for, for just a couple Sundays in December? Where are we going to go for those couple Sundays? And literally, he texts me, this happens, and then you say that. I mean, it's just amazing how God works. It really, really is. So praise God for his sovereignty, amen? How he speaks in those kind of little moments. And I think what I learned from that is we better be listening to the little moments, right? I mean, there's so many times that God will speak through someone, and we don't maybe catch it, and we rob ourselves of that blessing. And so let's be aware this week, right, to be listening for the voice of God uh, in Scripture, but also in other believers as well. Any other thoughts or comments from Psalm 3 that jump out to you? 
All right. Let's go ahead and pray, guys. We'll ask God to be with our week ahead and the remainder of our night. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word, and we thank you for speaking through not only your word, but through your church and through other believers. Thank you for the way you connect the dots that only you can. Father, I know that there are so many times we go through things in this life that we feel overwhelmed. We feel surrounded and we feel like there's no way out. But I'm so thankful that you are a shield, that you are a defense. But not just defense from one attack in one direction, but you surround us. You cover us with your, with your protection. Now, Father, I know that that protection means that you'll always be with us. You'll always watch over us. I know that that does not mean that we will not go through hard times. You will allow things to happen in our lives, and other people may make decisions that affect us in negative ways. But I'm so thankful that you will watch over us, and you will keep us. And so, Father, I pray that we would walk this out in our lives, that when we feel the, the overwhelming stress of just opposition that comes against us, that we would trust in you. Lord, again, I'm just so amazed. David knew the truth, but he had to take time to remind himself of the truth. So pray, Lord, maybe we would do that every single day this week. We'd wake up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and before our feet hit the floor, we would take just a couple moments to just thank you for being our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our head. Lord, I know that we're not going through what David went through. I know there were specific things that David went through that we're not going through. I'm not saying we're David. What I am saying, Lord, is that I believe your character is on display in this psalm. That you are our shield through Christ. That you are our glory through Christ. And through Christ, you have made us more than conquerors, according to your word. And so thank you, Lord, that we can trust that the victory is yours. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd go with us this week. Help us to see the opportunities to make you known and to know you more. And bless now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.